Oh, Bretto. What's up, MP? Damo just called. Yeah? He thinks there's going to be 100,000 people at the Wellness Summit. Oh, again? He thinks we're bigger than Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles all put together. Damien Christoph has gone completely mad. Did you know he's made eight tons of forage? What? <laughs> and now he wants you and I to help him get rid of it. Oh, Damo. So, look, being the good friends that we are, we've asked him. You mean forced? Well, we've kind of twisted his arm to make him literally give his forage away to 100 lucky Wellness Summit attendees. So if you're ready to enrol for our signature two days of inspiration, education and empowerment and entertainment. What do you mean, MP? Australian Idol winner Wes Carr makes his Wellness Summit debut this year, Bretto. Wes Carr, you'll be guilty. So if you're ready to be entertained, head on over to thewellnesssummit.com and get four value bags of forage muesli or one bag each of paleo, muesli, bircher and porridge when you register. Now, all you need to do is register for this two-for-one special, bring a buddy, bring a friend, bring a family member or a colleague and then choose your forage selection, four muesli or four assorted and get four bags per attendee. That's eight bags per double pass. That's almost 250 bucks of forage for free when you register for the Wellness Summit on August 25-26 at the Collingwood Town Hall in Melbourne. That's 150 serves of breakfast. Almost six months of breakfast just for registering for the Wellness Summit. Well, it's first in best dressed. These 100 tickets are only available until June 18 or until sold out. All the details of this special offer, all the topics, featured speakers and more are over at thewellnesssummit.com. Thanks for making eight tons of forage, Damo. Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone, to a very special episode of Homebase Hope. I know today's episode will resonate with you in so many ways because today we are exploring sensory processing, what it is, how it can affect your child, and strategies you can put in place today. Sensory processing can be a huge piece of the autism puzzle, and when you can understand why certain behaviors may be occurring, instead of reacting to the behavior, you can bring a sense of understanding, you can offer strategies, and you can learn to appreciate the difference. Sensory processing can affect so many children in so many ways. Your child may be a fussy eater. Maybe they avoid brushing their teeth, wearing socks, or cutting their fingernails. They may not respond to their name, or maybe they're just a really floppy and clumsy child. Maybe your child stims. These are all clues that something is going on with the way your child processes incoming sensory information. Our guest today that I have the privilege to talking to has a profound influence on my professional career as an OT and also personally as a mother to two young children. I'm absolutely thrilled and honoured to have Carol Stock-Kranowitz join me today. Carol has observed many children with sensory processing disorder and mild autism during her 25-year career as a preschool teacher. To help them become more competent in their work and their play, she studied sensory processing and sensory integration theory. 
Today, Carol speaks internationally about sensory processing disorders, effects on children's learning and behavior, and how families, teachers, and therapists can recognize and support children with sensory processing issues. In her first book, her award win in the award-winning sync series, The Out of Sync Child, Recognizing and Coping with Sensory Processing Disorder, it has sold over 1 million copies. It was selected by the Brainchild magazine as one of the top 10 books about children with disabilities. Carol's latest book is The Out of Sync Child Grows Up, Coping with Sensory Processing Disorder in the Adolescent and Young Adult Years. Carol is a board member of the Star Institute S-T-A-R, Star Institute for Sensory Processing Disorder. She lives in the US, she plays the cello, and she dotes on five sensational grandchildren. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Rhiannon. <laughs> I'm glad to be here uh, across, the, across the world. It is. It's amazing what we can do these days, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is astonishing. There you are in your spring clothes, and I'm dressing for winter. <laughs> Ah, that's it. Well, it is such a privilege to have you on the show today. Um, I'd love to start by rewinding the clock a little bit and I'd love to know your why. What led you to becoming so passionate about helping children in the area of sensory processing? Um, I started teaching without teaching experience. I started at a, a neighborhood preschool and uh, we teachers were moms, not not credentialed teachers. This was in the old days when that was possible. So I came without any understanding of atypical behavior. My own two children were typically developed keeping kids. Uh, and so I got to I got to this school and I was the movement, music and drama teacher there. And there were some children who were out of sync with the others. Um, for instance, I would bring out a basket of alluring rhythm band instruments. And um, instead of examining them and selecting a triangle or a, or a tambourine, a child might come and upturn the basket and strew the instruments all over the floor and walk through them. What was that behavior? Or I would uh, put on a record with, this was in the days of records, um, tiptoeing music, and the child would march. I'd put on marching music. He would tiptoe. Or children constantly complaining about the tags in their shirts, the seams in their socks, the um, uh, crunchiness of a pretzel, and and. Children were so clever. I remember hearing children say, my mother told me never to eat a saltine. And, you know, you don't dispute what a child is taught at home. Maybe there was some religious reason not to eat a saltine. And, well, it was because it was crunchy, and this particular little child only ate applesauce and yogurt, nothing crunchy because of tactile issues. So I, I'm giving you a long answer. Uh, I, I'll cut it short. I was seeing children who were not just enjoying childhood and trying things and reaching for toys that other children found very um, interesting and engaging. These were children who would pull away from childhood experiences or, or perhaps um, 
the opposite, uh, engaged in a, an unusual, wildly enthusiastic way that didn't seem to make sense. What was going on? How could I reach them? How could I become a better teacher? So after 10 years of wondering, an occupational therapist came to our school in Washington, D.C., did a short 90-minute workshop on what was then called sensory integration dysfunction. And it just made me understand this is what I was put on earth to learn about and to explain. I began to see all the patterns and... uh, I'm happy that I've been able to help other people understand some of the the characteristics and the solutions to sensory processing disorder. Mm, oh, you absolutely have. Like I said, I um I recommend your book to so many of the parents that I see um, for children who have challenges with sensory processing issues. Um, it's so thorough and it is it provides such a good overview of what sensory processing is, what to look out for, what are the red flags and all the practical solutions. Um, so thank you so much for that because it is such a wonderful resource. <laughs> Um, yeah so as you said it can impact so much on behavior and I suppose behavior is the tip of the iceberg that is what the parents will see and what they'll notice but we need to start to uncover what what's actually going on here Um, and sensory processing is a huge topic and I'm sure we could talk about it for days yes (laughs) but I think it's really essential that we start at the basics so parents are would know about the five main senses. So that's our sense of smell, touch, taste, hearing, and vision. But they might not be aware that we actually have eight senses. And um, I I didn't know this until I went to university. Um, You only learn about the five main senses at school. So we actually have eight senses and the three other senses, they're actually invisible. And I'd love you to be able to talk about what these senses are and their importance. Excellent. Um, the five that you mentioned, Rhiannon, are sometimes called external or environmental senses. And I, I think of them as public senses also because uh, we see a squirrel run up a tree. Well, everybody can see that squirrel run up a tree. Um, everybody can feel that the, the fire is, is hot. But... Um, the three invisible ones are private. So uh, one of them is uh, the interoceptive system. And this is uh, interoception is uh, our mostly unconscious awareness of our internal organs. So we don't know what our spleen is doing or our gallbladder. We might know, we might know what our heart is doing, that our heart's beating fast or that we're sweating or that we're hungry or that we need to urinate. We might have uh, uh, the kind of awareness that we need so we can function, but interoception governs everything and keeps us, it's the behind the scenes uh, operation. And it has to be going well. Um, another, And nobody else knows. You don't know whether I have to go to the bathroom. And I learned not to tell you. <laughs> uh, and many children don't know that. 
So that's why we have a lot of children with sensory processing disorder who have toileting issues. Um, they, they don't know that they have to have a bowel movement, for instance. They don't know that they're hungry. And so we wonder, what's, why are they so cranky? Why is this child having a meltdown? And he doesn't know. He can't say. Um, proprioception is another one of these invisible or personal uh, sensory systems. That is the um, awareness of our muscles and joints and what our limbs and body parts are doing. So uh, uh, playing Simon Says, for instance, requires a, a child to know uh, what to do. If the, if the leader says, Simon says, um, do this, the child has to be able to copy that. And the leader might say, Simon says, do the same thing with the other hand. Well, if you don't have good proprioception, you don't know what to do. Um, um, I tell people um, that they, I bet they have good proprioception if they can get dressed in a dark closet. And if you can picture, you'll have to grope, you'll have to feel where the sleeves are and where the zipper is and everything. But most of us could do that. We could get into our sneakers and tie our shoelaces probably in the dark if we've done it enough times. Um, if that seems hard for you, parents and teachers who are listening, um, you might need a mirror to help you get dressed, and that might indicate that your proprioception is a little off. Getting dressed is a good example of proprioception. Um, using the appropriate amount of force for uh, um, uh, um, opening a buckle or... Uh, um, pouring juice or slamming the car door um, or how to put your foot appropriately on the tread of the of the stairs all, all of that um, force is like is, is like grading of movement after many 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 gazillions of experiences as we mature we're learning just how much pressure to put on the like how to turn the light on or off mm, yeah i know even like if you go to pick up <clears throat> a glass for example and you can't see how much how much water is in the in the glass it's you know opaque or something and you pick it up and you you might expect that it's really heavy and so you'll go to lift it up with that expectation and if there's nothing in it you might sort of fling it behind you because you're, you're right. using <laughs> that much exactly yeah. mm, so kids exactly. might so so there's a great deal of um, clumsiness that that results from poor proprioception um, and can a little kid say, Mommy, um, the, the muscles and joints in my elbow and my shoulder are uh, not giving me the correct feedback, and so that's why I can't put my arm into the jacket that you're holding for me. And don't get mad at me. <laughs> I mean, the kid can say, don't get mad at me, but he can't say why. Um, all right. Um, so proprioception is also very important for changing our position. Say there's an obstacle course on the playground. A child with proprioception issues will have difficulty standing up now, crouching now, um, balancing now, uh, climbing and sliding. All of those changes in position will be 
uh, quite demanding. Uh, uh, the third um, invisible private sense is the vestibular sense. And Dr. Jean Ayers, who uh, was the, what, the uh, occupational therapist who formulated the theory of sensory processing in the middle of the last century, um, Dr. Ayers called the vestibular sense our master sense. This is um, in our, it happens in our inner ear. Gravity tells us where we are in space, uh, particularly where our head is in space. So, are we walking around like this? Our vestibular sense should be telling us that. Are we falling down? Are we um, on a swing? Um, are we turn, turning around? Are we on the bus that's stationary next to the bus that's moving? Or is our bus moving? Uh, our vestibular sense tells us all of this. And Dr. Ayers went on and she said, our... Um, security of being grounded is absolutely paramount. We, we need that knowledge, that certainty that we are on earth or else we feel as if we could just get blown away, poof, off the face of the earth. So as, when we're little and we're learning to walk and our vestibular sense is new, we're hanging on to the furniture and to mommy's hand. As we mature, we learn how to run up the stairs, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, instead of left, right, left, right, left, right. Um, we learn to um, get on the swing and love the swing and love jumping off the swing and love turning in circles and getting dizzy because it's fun to kind of defy gravity. That's if our vestibular sense is, is working well. But picture the children whom you might love and not understand, who uh, are very tentative as they move. And you think, why is that kid holding onto the banister so tightly? What's so scary about getting on a tricycle? Well, if your vestibular system is not working, everything is scary about moving. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you ask me questions and I get excited about all these <laughs> topics. You have to. You might have to put up a little time. <laughs> no, it's great. No, that. I think it's it's so important, and I think that's the basics. I think parents need to understand what our senses are, what the importance is, um, so they can relate it to their child and have that practical understanding of how, you know, um, not having that sense of security in the world. If they're having challenges riding their bike, for example, because our, our vestibular sense is very closely linked to balance and our core strength. So if they're having challenges with riding a bike, if they fear going up high or going in a lift or um, going on the swing, like you said, or even um, movements that go round and round, so spinning movements at the at the playground, if they're fearful of anything like that, it, it's worth looking into um, providing them yes. and, and grading slowly um, more opportunities for movement to help develop this vestibular sense. That's, that's the take-home message I'm going to want everybody to have. Going outside and having experiences outside, whole body experiences. Um, as I looked over the questions that you sent me in advance, um, Rhiannon, and, Rhiannon um, I 
I kept coming up with the same answer, what to do for children. And shall we look at those questions? And, and yeah, let's dive in. Okay. Let's dive in. So before we get to that, I do want to touch on, so we know the senses now, but parents will be asking, okay, what actually is sensory processing and what oh. is sensory processing disorder? What is it? Oh. And um, oh, that's can you give us an overview of that? <laughs> Sensory processing is a normal, everyday, neurological process that we don't even think about. Uh, we have these eight senses. We have receptors all over our body. Most of them are in our head. Um, the touch system is, uh, all, is our largest sensory system geographically because we have skin all over our body. But the vestibular... Um, uh, sense the apparatus is in the inner ear and the nostrils and the eyes and the mouth for tasting and the ears for hearing. All, most of it's up here in the head. So we get um, sensations uh, from our own body movement and activity and from our environment, uh, the playground, the kitchen, the office, the street corner. And these um, sensations of movement, like a truck passing by is giving us sensations of that we can see hear, maybe smell if it's you know a smelly truck um, <laughs> uh, maybe the ground is rumbling a little bit from the weight of it going past us we're getting all those sensations um, they come in very rapidly into our central nervous system which is our spine our uh, uh, stem and our brain and the nervous system says, aha, truck coming near, don't get in its way. And we learn how to hang back on the curb rather than running out in front of the truck and becoming a piece of toast. Um, so our senses are, uh, the primary use of our senses is to keep us alive. Uh, so we, we, we need to get that information from our bodies, from our environment to survive, to make appropriate responses. And those are called adaptive responses. So um, let's put you in your imagination on the stairs. You're going upstairs in an old house. You haven't been in this house before. You see the stairs. You know how to make your legs move. Oh, but one of those stairs has a higher rise than the others, and you see it too late, and you're, you stub your toe a little bit. So you make an adaptive response. Um, you are more careful now going up this funny staircase. Coming down, you'll probably remember that tall step and be careful about it, and that's how we get through our day. We have obstacles all around us every day and without uh, too much prefrontal cortex attention we can get through our day all right pretty pretty well um, because our senses are running smoothly sensory processing disorder is when all those sensations are coming in, just like every everybody gets the sensations coming in. There's nothing tangled or mangled about uh, receptors, but it's in the um, that nanosecond after the 
sensations come in, as, as I understand it, that the confusion begins. Maybe the sensations get derailed. They, they don't meet up where they're supposed to. Or maybe they're a little stodgy. They go a little slowly. Well, we can't afford that when the truck is coming down the street and we're about to step off the curb. Um, but um, you might have noticed some children will know um, the answer to a question, but it's like beat, beat, beat. Oh, I know the answer is Sydney. The answer is Washington, D.C. But it takes them a little bit longer to get the question in, process it, and give you the, give you the answer. These are the kids that get um, squashed at school. The teacher doesn't have time. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. children say, I know, I know, I know. Um, it's very frustrating if your processing is a little slower mm-hmm. uh, for school. But um, basically for life, if your processing is tangled up, uh, it's going to interfere with, with uh, your coordination, your responses to all kinds of situations, your relationships with people. You're reading, you're writing, you're eating, you're sleeping, sensory processing. Dr. Ayers called it a traffic jam in the brain. And uh, imagine that all the time that you're dealing with. Yeah, I, I that's yeah, that's a very comprehensive, wonderful explanation. And I think I think the important thing for parents to remember is that Everyone, everyone has sensory information that they need to process and everyone processes it in a different way. We will all respond to the same sensory experience, whether it's the truck coming down the road, whether it's brushing the teeth or brushing the hair, it's the same sensory experience, but everyone will process that information very differently and therefore they will, their response will be very different. So, um, yeah, and, and I think it's only it becomes a problem when it starts to impact on day to day life. Mm. Yes, um, so we all have sensory issues. Um, I, for instance, don't like um, baking bread or finger paint or play doh. So when I was a preschool teacher for a while, I was uh, in the classroom, and the parents complained to the head of the school that the children didn't come with any art in their art bags <laughs> on Friday, Friday afternoon. <laughs> and the, the head of the school said, you know, that's messy stuff, which is very important in preschool. It's clear that's not your thing, Carol. But the movement and the music and the other thing, you know, big whole body play and lots of rhythm and chance that's right that's right yeah so it's so important to to be mindful of that that even parents will have their own sensitivities to certain um experiences that's right awesome let's let's head to yes i just make one more thing just because i have tactile over responsivity and you won't see me playing in the Bread, bread dough. That does not mean I have sensory processing disorder. That means that's my little specialty. Sensory process that that tactile thing. I can certainly live without baking bread. Um, 
we, we use the term sensory processing disorder when the sensory systems, one of them or three of them or eight of them, are, um, are, are so troublesome for the child that the child's life is impacted and it's really hard to function and to enjoy life. So that's when we say SPD. But mm-hmm. you guys listening, um, if uh, bright lights bother you, that's a sensory issue, but we wouldn't say you had SPD. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. That's good clarification. Um, and it's important to realize too that SPD isn't actually an official diagnosis at the moment, is it? It's just a description. So, um, yeah, it, that's important to keep in mind, I suppose. Right. Yeah. It's real. It's real, all right, but it hasn't been um, accepted in the final DSM five or anything like that. Five. Yeah. Let's head to stimming because a lot of children on the spectrum um, will engage in what's called stimming or self-stimulatory behaviors. Are you able to talk us through what stimming is as it relates to self-regulation and what it might look like? Yeah, I'm not sure I can uh, because I'm not that uh, familiar with kids with autism. Many kids with SPD do not stim. I think most children with autism do. So I I will only say that uh, when you see children doing something like this, it might be organizing for them. It might also be, uh, if they're doing this close to their eyes, it might be helping them see what's here in their peripheral vision close up and not the whole world out there, which might be very confusing. And I'll stop there. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. I think that's exactly right. Um, children with autism, um, a lot of the times, will engage in these stimming behaviors. So they might flap their hands. They might walk on their toes. I've got children that I see that just constantly spin in circles or body rock. So they'll slam their back into the into their lounge room chair. Um, and, and this can be very calming and soothing and organizes their nervous system. So, so it is... Um, it works in the same way. They're seeking or they're using their sensory system to calm and organize or, or seek certain um, experiences that, yeah, does organize their nervous system so they can become available and ready for learning. So, yeah, let's dive into let's dive into sensory processing disorder because it is a massive umbrella term and there are three types of sensory processing disorder. There's what's called sensory modulation disorder sensory discrimination disorder and sensory based motor disorder and as an OT working with children on the spectrum I see loads of challenges with the sensory modulation so and and quite often parents will refer to um, sensory processing disorder um, and they're referring to sensory modulation disorder so when the child's volume control on their senses is turned up way too much and they're extremely oversensitive to everything or it's turned down so much that they're just not noticing the world around them. Um, So this is where I wanted to focus most of our attention today because I know parents will have so many questions answered if we can delve into sensory modulation. Okay. Okay. I I want people to remember I am not an OT. I am an OT wannabe, but I'm not an (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, you have I a learned, wealth of knowledge, I've learned, Carol. Mm. I've learned a lot from from 
wonderful occupational therapist. All right, so modulation issues are the most common. Uh, and and uh, as we were just saying, everybody has a, a, some modulation issues, um, especially when we're sick or tired or um, pregnant or uh, when, there, when something's big is going on physically. Um, but then we get over it, most of us. Okay, but for children who have SPD with the with the modulation issues, um, that when they are over responsive or oversensitive, these are the kids I call the avoiders. Uh, it might be noise. It it's you. It's often more oftener than anything is uh, it is touch that bothers these children, as I understand it. Um, they are. Um, con- well, out of sync with what with what they touch and what touches them. So an example might be you're sitting at the uh, dining room table and um, sister um, wiggles in her seat and her leg gets over toward Billy's area and he freaks out and he says, she's trying to kick me, she's trying to hurt me, she's always trying to hurt me. Her foot just raised the child's foot, but he cannot interpret that as a benign, uh, a temporary situation. It's like the world is coming to an end. Um, uh, so anything, anything um, that would most people could shrug off or ignore, uh, if it's a, a tactile or touch issue, it might be tremendous to to a person who's oversensitive to touch. Uh, it could be that the child is very oversensitive to movement. That would be the vestibular system. Um, that is the child's specialty. That is the child who will, his feet will never leave the ground. He go, he hates the playground. He goes because you drag him, because you know that's a good place to be, and you are right. Even if he doesn't like it, please, I want you to take him there anyway. Uh, and find things to do where his feet don't have to leave the ground for a while until he's ready. Um, this is the child who sees an obstacle course or a, let's say, a curb, um, and brothers and sisters and neighborhood friends are all walking on the curb and balancing and having fun, and he won't do that. Um, what might work for that child is um, to uh, take a board and put it on the grass and have him practice walking on the board. If that's not great, keep working on it. Put it on the floor instead of the grass. If that's still not great, get some masking tape. Take some tape and make a strip of that flat on the floor because it might turn out that the child has a visual issue as well as vestibular. So it's not just being up off the ground, but it's also making sense of space in front of him. That's all entwined with the vestibular system. So that uh, the avoider doesn't want to touch and or doesn't want to move and or doesn't want to be touched and or moved. Um, what about... What about gra- oh, sorry. Go, no, did you want to... I was just going to say, what about the auditory sense? Because many children on the spectrum will be very 
oversensitive yes. to certain noises. Um, what might that look right. like and what can parents do about okay. that? Okay. Um, um, the reason I, I stress the touch and the movement is that uh, those are the biggies, the, the, the way I understand it. So, so you could have an auditory problem and it might not be considered SPD per se. But, of course, it is implicated if you have um, movement issues. The vestibular system and the auditory system are very closely involved. So if your feet don't leave the ground, chances are you also have an auditory problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, loud noises will bother this child, uh, this over-responsive child. And it's not just the slamming door. Uh, a door slams for us. We, we turn. Is it a threat? Is it something we need to pay attention to? We'll, we'll, we'll look up from our book. Oh, it was the wind. Okay, back to the book. For Billy, who has SPD, oh no, that slamming door. Oh no, I have to calm down. Billy's saying he's got. He's trying to figure out how he can calm down. It's very hard for him to calm down. And then he realizes the tag in his shirt is bothering him. Oh no. Now it's really getting bad. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Um, the teacher says, uh, get out the math book, and he always has trouble reaching in his desk for the math book because it feels so much like the spelling book. And the other kids are pulling out their books, and he can't tell from reaching in his desk without looking at it and thinking about it which one is his. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So for kids who are um, oversensitive, the oversensitivity, this sensory modulation issue, uh, is enormous. It, these reactions to life out there, are they come fast and furiously and frequently. Door slams, door slams, door slams. Each one is a new disaster. The intensity of the child's reaction is very strong. Um, the duration of his response is very long. He's going to remember that slamming door. Well, another example is um, a splinter. You know, kids get splinters. Okay. Grandma takes it out with her special splinter needle. All right. And, the you know, life goes on. Not so for Billy. He's going to remember that splinter. And he got that splinter in March, and he's going to remember it in September. Mm-hmm. So, so the intensity and the duration of this um, sensory insult goes on and on. Um, um, and also, I want to say that over-responsive children's reactions are, uh, uh, make them very emotional. This is, uh, they're highly emotional children. And we say, oh, he's very touchy, or oh, he's very sensitive, or yeah, he is. And he's not doing it on purpose. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I think parents need to understand that it is something neurological that is going on. There is a reason why they are behaving like this and overreacting. Um, and it can present, they're usually the children that have the big meltdowns, aren't they? Um, they could be hitting, yes. biting, kicking, punching, screaming, and, and the, it could go on. Parents will say they do that for hours and they just can't calm themselves down. And it's, 
it's because that experience was so real, as you were saying, it's, it's, re- it's real to them and it's so yes. deeply irritating. Um, and, and I suppose if we liken it to ourselves, if um, someone imposed a certain sensory experience on us that we don't like, so if I um, made you knead that bread dough and um, do all these things that you don't like, if, <laughs> if, if, it, if it causes enough pain, I suppose, you know, um, you, you are going to respond in a certain way. Um, I know if someone made me eat a tin of tuna and oysters, I would not be too pleased at all. Um, you know, and so I suppose we've got to remember that everyone again has our own experience and how that child is experiencing their world is real. And, um, we need to respect that. We need to respect where they are coming from and try and understand it. Yes, and and um, we're going to talk about some of the other modulation issues too. And for for children who present with with other types, with all types of sensory processing, I suggest that we put on um, our imaginary sensory goggles and and put on these goggles and and look at children and ask ourselves two questions. One is, is there something sensory going on here that is um, causing my child to have this response or a harder question to answer is is there a sensation that my child is not receiving that would help him and that is true when we're um, when we look at um, school life and actually home life you know in these days and the year 2017, uh, we our children are indoors almost all the time. And nature has designed us to be outside uh, foraging for food and finding rocks and sticks and mud to make our our shelter. They, they don't ask me to put the mud there, but I'll, I'll get the rocks for you. <laughs> 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 but we're designed to be very busy surviving using our senses to learn about our environment and what's my place in this world and how can I how can I help my family and my tribe and 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 make this a secure safe self place not indoors not that's not that's not what we're designed to do so with our sensory goggles on we can say this little kid has not had recess today no wonder she's squirming all over her ha- her chair and I remember I was in a grocery store recently and I was behind a woman who had a mound mound of groceries she had been in the store for a long time collecting food and her little child was in the seat and he was rocking back and forth and oh mommy let's get out of here and she said just a, just a few more minutes, we're almost done, and and we'll just go home and put the ice cream away, and then we'll go right to the playground. Just be patient a little longer. And this child hollers all for the whole grocery store to hear, Mommy, you are patienting me to death. <laughs> and, and, and that, well, that's our life. You know, I, I know parents wow. can't spend 24 hours outdoors all the time with their kids, but it's so important to get them out more. I couldn't agree more. Uh, very more. So 
let's go on and talk a little bit about the under-responsive child because that's harder, I think, harder to see. The over-responsive child is um, making it clear how unhappy he is with touches and movements and noises and smells and um, life. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is a child who wants to live under the table. Uh, The other... I was just going to say, just a few strategies. So for the children who want to live under the table and they're in that fight, flight or freeze mode, they're in that survival mode because they're waiting for that next sensory hit to come along and and disrupt them and disorganize their brain and their body. Um, I suppose some strategies in terms of um, parents just respecting that it's real and initially avoiding that unpleasant stimulus but slowly increasing it so um it's in a safe environment and they can start to slowly tolerate it because they don't want to avoid it forever because we we can't live life under the table that's right and you and i are definitely in sync Um, um we want children at the table and a tendency is to say oh my um uh Little Carol doesn't like finger painting. I'm not going to torture her and make her miserable. Um, uh, she can uh, read a book. She likes books. Well, no, little Carol needs to come to the table. And little Carol can enjoy the finger painting with um, slowly getting getting her into it. And here's some ideas. Take the finger paint and put it into a Ziploc plastic bag. And the child can poke at it and smear it and trace with her fingers and get some satisfaction that way. Um, or, or put it down on a cafeteria tray and give the child um, a vinyl gloves. And, or, or just cut the fingers off a grown-up's vinyl glove and let the child have one little, little uh, covering for a finger and let her do it that way. Or give her a tool to use, a a toothpick, a popsicle stick, a spoon or something to give her a little distance from it. But don't let her get away. She's got to be at the table. And I don't, that sounds really, really stern. I don't mean that. I don't mean, (laughs) darn it, you're going to be here at the table. But but what you said, Rhiannon, and the, um, Rhiannon, did I get it right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, um, incrementally little steps closer and closer until the child is comfortable do- doing something. Um, eating is an example. A lot of children with tactile over-responsivity won't put um, anything but very a, a, a few very comfortable foods into their mouths. Some children uh, with this condition are uh, like things uh, crunchy. It has to be crunchy. They have to really be able to feel it in their mouths. Carrots and bacon and pretzels, but no applesauce, no yogurt. Then there is the creamy diet that's all yogurt, all milk, all ice cream, and uh, nothing with texture. Heaven forbid there's any pulp in the orange juice, for instance. These children will have a meltdown or something like that. Um, so gradually, what what you do 
to get them to in, uh, broaden their uh, diet is to say, all right, today we're going to put uh, broccoli on the table. It's, it's just going to be on the table. And the next week, a piece of broccoli, a little piece is going to be on the child's plate. And the next week, the child is asked to touch it. And gradually, very slowly, this doesn't happen overnight, um, gradually you have the child bring it to his mouth, kiss it, maybe put it in his mouth for an instant. Smell maybe it. Maybe leave it. Smell it. All, right, right. Use all the senses. I think because obviously the mouth is a very sensitive place and if you can't even tolerate smelling it or like you said looking at it or touching it there's no way you're going to put it in that very vulnerable place like your mouth <laughs> there's no chance exactly exactly mm. so for so we want to bring children to the table and we want to do it incrementally and just a short time um as calmly as possible today we're going to go to the playground and you know, in in three months, we're going to get on the swing, but we're going to get closer and closer to the swing. And it's and and this is what an OT would do uh, in in the in her um, well regulated uh, clinic. She would uh, take the child and gradually get the child to get on suspended equipment, so the child is off the ground, but very very close to the ground. And then gradually raise the platforms of the child's further away. Uh, so we can do a little bit of that in our life and with our with our our own children too. Exactly. But golly, those goggles make all the difference. When you put the goggles on and you say, the first thing you say is, "It's not me. It's not my fault." As a mom, I haven't been doing something wrong. I can see my child has a neurological issue with things that don't bother me, but I respect that they bother her and boy that just makes a huge difference awesome absolutely i think that's um you know i think parents are going to be really tuning in here because i think that will um, be so true of so many of their kids and now uh, you know they can start to develop that better understanding of what they can do and how to use these sensory goggles to see what is actually going on so they're the sensory undersensitive oh no sensory oversensitive so they're overreacting to all the sensory experiences what does it look like for children who are undersensitive to sensory information these children seem kind of out of it um 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 a self-absorbed um they don't really notice what's going on around them they they can notice it they, again, there's nothing damaged with their sensory receptors, but uh, it's just uh, they they don't have that uh, more. That they don't have a typical way of, of responding. So with these kids, they will come alive. Uh, you can turn their ignition with more intense, vigorous sensory input than you would give to more typical children. Um, so, um, let's see, like, um, like I would say for an over-responsive infant, don't jiggle the baby. That baby is, I, often I see parents jiggling their baby, hoping it's going to help. It would perhaps help the, oh, the under-responsive child, 
But don't do that to an over-responsive child. So and, uh, take your under-responsive child and let him, if he's little, let him sit on the dryer while the dryer's spinning. And that, that might be kind of stimulating for him. Uh, give him uh, uh, granola and uh, crunchy celery and uh, food to chew on. Give him chewing gum. Even young children, like a three-year-old, certainly can chew gum. And if he swallows it, it's no big deal. It goes right through. Uh, and that chewing is really good for the mouth. And the, all, there's so many proprioceptors here in the, around the jaw and the mouth. Um, at bath time, give the under-responsive child uh, loofah sponges, um, terry cloth, washcloths with different textures of terry cloth, uh, kitchen scrub brushes like Teflon, uh, you know, the foamy, hard foamy scrubbers. Make a basket of interesting things that the child can take in the bathtub with them. And by the way, that's a perfectly great idea for the over-responsive child too, to get him to learn how to handle different textures on his skin. What's good for one might be good for all. <laughs> when we're talking about some of these suggestions. Uh, um, so the under-responsive child does well with the volume turned up a little bit. Um, we had a child at our nursery school who um, was very under-responsive and the occupational therapist who was our consultant uh, for kids like him. Uh, this little lad had autism. She said um, to raise our voices to him. And we teachers were gentle and kind and calm. And it, this was unusual for us, but we would open the car door when his parents would drive by to drop him off at school, and we would yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Robbie. It's so wonderful to see you today. I mean, blaring it into the Bible <laughs> space. And he smiled. And it was unnatural for us teachers, but yeah. that was what we did. We'd, we'd help him out of the car. We'd say, Do you want to? do you want a bear hug this morning? And he would nod. And we would squeeze the bejeepers out of him like his ribs were going to be crushed. And we'd squeeze. And, oh, he loved it. Do you want to be upside down? Yes. And we would upside down him and yell at him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I, I think um, when you said about the, audit, the auditory processing, so you, you were yelling at him, um, a lot of times children on the spectrum will get hearing tests and their hearing will come back perfectly fine, um, but parents can't understand why their child isn't turning when their name is called. So they'll say, Billy, Billy, you know, and, and he won't look at mom or he won't look at dad. Um, and it's not the fact that he's got a hearing problem. It's the fact that he's got, he's under-sensitive or under-responsive, under-responsive to this information. Exactly. Right. So that's why a lot of kids fall through the cracks um, when they're um, screened at school. And I don't know, I imagine this is true in Australia, um, in the United States, um, children are screened by um, vision, and people who come in with, uh, to test their eyesight and their hearing. And so for hearing, they'll get uh, earphones. Is that true? You have that happen at school? I'm not sure right, if and we they, have it at schools, but we can go and get it privately done. 
uh-huh, or sometimes pediatricians will do it in their offices too. And that child is asked, can you hear the little birdie? And inside the earphones, there will be a little twee twee. Um, now, um, uh, the typical child will say, I hear it. The atypical child who has sensory processing disorder, there's that beat, beat, beat. Yes, he hears it. And then it's going somewhere in the brain. And then the child understands he's heard it. And then he says, I hear it. Okay, that child will pass the hearing test. But it's a red flag that the auditory information that is all around us is taking longer to get processed. And that's the child who's going to fall through the cracks. And that's the child who will benefit from something like occupational therapy. Even if you, uh, Rhiannon, don't uh, particularly treat the ears, you might be treating the whole body. You might have the child jumping on a trampoline or swinging or something. The whole body is going to work together to get the hearing improved. Also. Can you tell us how that works? Because that might sound very confusing to parents to jump on a trampoline to get the hearing to work. How does that work? <laughs> They're like, what's going on here? This sounds crazy. <laughs> it does sound crazy. No, I know. We have these eight senses and they are integrated. So uh, everything, imagine that truck going down the street again. We have a lot of senses that are telling us that truck is coming close to us. Thank goodness we have them all because we need them all. That multi-sensory input is very important. And research is showing that when you, um, you test to see if a child hears something, and then you, uh, so there's a little beep, 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 and then you might put little puffs of air on a child's hand, and you can see it on a, print out because the child's all wired up then all right, so let's say the child he, hears all right and so you see you see the child hearing in a line and then you see the child's uh, response to the touches and, and you see that moving along then you do both at the same time the puff of air and the hearing and you see that that child's uh, um, processing of incoming sensory messages is sharper, clearer, faster, better, um, more useful. So the more we get in through all our senses, the more we are um, getting muscles responding, hearing responding, eyesight responding. Um, jumping is great for the brain and for reading and for listening. And uh, here's, a, here's a wonderful story. Across the street from the preschool where I taught all those years um, is the elementary school. So uh, children would leave St. Columba's Nursery School and they would go across the street to the school. And one day the kinder- I, I met the kindergarten teacher at that school over there and she said, I always mean to ask you teachers at nursery school, um, uh, how much time do you devote to cutting every day? Because when I get kids who are graduates of the preschool, they are fabulous cutters. And I love that question because my answer was, the children learn to cut by playing on the playground, Mm -hmm. by sliding, digging, climbing, 
swinging, jumping, running. It's the large muscle activity that our little kids are desperately in need of that prepares them to sit quietly in elementary school and read and cut and pay attention to directions. So um, the larger lesson here is that first thing is the large muscles. They're called the proximal muscles. They're trunk muscles. First, we have to get our kids to have good core strength and being upright and uh, moving in a, in a centered, upward, outward way. And then that's like, that's like the uh, main highway, the proximal muscles. When those are working well, uh, and this is all vestibular, all proprioceptive, all tactile. It's all these basic senses. When those, when when the proximal muscles work well, then they lend uh, a support support for the fine motor skills, which are cutting, um, speaking, using your eyeballs, and I know that many children don't need to do this but picking up marbles with their toes. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think he's spot on. It's so true. I mean, there's no way we can expect a child to have excellent control of their pen if they're floppy like a noodle in the middle and they can't even sit on a chair properly. Um, So they need, like you said, those core foundational um, skills and build up the muscle tone and everything like that by getting them outside. I mean, movement is food for the brain. Our kids need to move. And I think, um, I know you're very passionate about getting kids outside and more natural outdoor environments um, because kids these days do live a very sedentary lifestyle. They're sitting in front of the TV. They're playing their computer games. um, And, you know, they need to be out there just um, working on the foundations. And when when they are out there having fun, they are simultaneously building on all these sensory um, systems that help them do the inside work, the tabletop desk work that they need to do at school. Absolutely. I'm so firmly – it's not just a belief. It's a certainty that movement is learning. And when we have our kids outside, they're, they're not missing out by being outside. They are missing out by being inside and having computers and even, even books. And so, you know, I, when, I, when I do a presentation, I ask a room full of people to think of an activity that they remember from childhood, some, some experience, and, and then share it with their neighbor. And the room is all a buzz and people are excited about this. And it turns out that everybody remembers an outdoor experience. Um, uh, and I, I, I explain it. I say you remember it because it's, it's sensory rich. Count up the sensation, the sensory systems that were involved in um, climbing that apple tree, and you probably have um, seven. And if you ate an apple, then you have eight senses involved, since um, we don't eat a lot of stuff that we do. But uh, 
But and then and then I go on. I said, did anyone think of a classroom experience? Silence. Did anybody remember a television experience? No. How about reading? And this is what's so interesting. Even reading, which could have been so pleasurable, is not the first or second or tenth childhood experience that people remember when they answer my question. What do you remember now about a pleasurable childhood experience? So the more the more our eight senses are engaged, the more memorable and important and uh, developing that ex- that experience is. So that resonates with me so much so much i know like how many senses do you engage when you watch the tv too you know you can see it and you can hear it but um you you can even just look at static too and i i know older people will turn on the tv just to have it there when there's nothing that they can see and there's nothing that they can hear and they're not using any of their senses yeah tv doesn't do it Let's talk about the third kind of modulation problem, because I know that we did talk about over-responsivity, which is the most common and which can be affecting one sense or several senses. So when we are talking about modulation problems, there are these three, the over-responsive child, the under-responsive child, and then there is the seeker or the craver actually the craver, uh, more than seeking, because we all seek sensations, but the craver never gets enough. And this is the little kid or the teenager or the adult who um, is addicted to some kind of sensation. Uh, It might be the child uh, who wants to spin all the time, spin, 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 and who gets off the rotary swing which is intense intense vestibular activity and the child might get off and might not be dizzy and his eyes might be very clear and straight in his head not going back and forth which is what we expect in a typical nervous system we expect dizziness But the child who's the craver might get off that swing after half an hour of swinging and not be dizzy at all. That's a very clear sign um, that there is a vestibular irregularity going on. Um, uh, Or the child might uh, want a lot of noise. If there isn't enough noise coming from the radio, he'll go over and turn up the volume. If he can't get the noise from the environment, he'll make the noise. Uh, he'll be always, always climbing, jumping. Everything is a ladder. The bookcase is a ladder. He'll go to the top of the jungle gym that other children know is just not a sensible place to go. And this kid is up there. Uh, <clears throat> um, cravers also tend to eat a lot, not because they're hungry, but one reason might be that they just love that Set that proprioception that they're getting from chewing. Give them gum. Remember, gum gum goes right through, and you don't have any problems with it in, if the kid swallows it. Now, what do we do? <clears throat> excuse me, with our seeker who's always jiggling and uh, 
causing a ruckus and getting so much attention, which is often negative. Um, well, my answer for all modulation problems, well, actually, for all sensory problems, whether it's modulation or, or something different, is get the kids outside. You can't be outside too much. There's always more to do and more to learn. And so with the craver, <clears throat> what might he be doing? He might be digging, give him a shovel, give him a, give him a chore to do, and then say to him, that is a wonderful ditch that you just planted there for the carrots. What would I do without a son like you? And imagine how that feels to the kid who is often getting the wrong kind of attention. You know, I think, I think every time. <laughs> Particularly every- in the classroom, I think you see those sort of sensory seeking behaviors, kids who are told to sit down and be still and concentrate when really they need to be outside and moving or they just need to almost fix that um that desire and that requirement to move first before they can even be available for learning. That's right. That's right. If they have to get out there, get engaged to uh, to get the the wheels in their brain working, and when we're outside or inside on a bad day, but but laboring with a broom or a spoon or. Uh, an iron or anything. Trampoline. Trampoline, right, right. But when we're, when we're doing something with our bodies, the left and the right hemispheres of the brain are talking to, to each other. And that's what we need, too, to get that back and forth, to help, to help the, um, the senses uh, be integrated and to work back and forth. I think real work is very important for children. Um, I'll give you a couple of little tips I gave uh uh, things I did with my kids when they were boys, um, I would have them um, jump on uh, boxes like cereal boxes and um, paper, cardboard, milk cartons, and egg cartons to flatten them for the for the recycling. And then I would give them the salad spinner, the spin around, um, just jobs so that they were feeling. The, you know, the, uh, and if it was messy, I like them to do the messy stuff. <laughs> I, so I didn't have to do it. But you know, this was so much a part of what what they did when they grew up. That when one of my sons went off to college, oh, the younger one, when he went off to college, quite seriously, he said to me, "Mom, are you going to be okay with the salad spinner all by yourself?" <laughs> I said. I was so touched. It was so sweet because I had convinced him that I really was helpless without him. To <laughs> but anyway, knows how to spin, spin the salad. Ah, <laughs> oh, fantastic! That's uh, it. It's just little jobs around the house, and and same with school because I, I think a lot of times parents have um, challenges with their children at school because it is so. Um, structured and, and routine in terms of sitting down, sitting at your desk, sitting on the mat, and they just want to be able to move their bodies more. So if they can run an errand to the to the library, take some heavy books to the library and come back or yeah, do some push-ups on the wall, anything that gets Yes, you. exactly. Uh, uh, push-ups on the wall or um, 
or, or pressing their own hands together or pressing on the desk or um, uh, moving furniture is great too if, you, if your uh, floors can stand it and just have kids shove their, their desks around. Uh, another idea is to make a, a path, a walking path at the back of the room. You could call it a thinking path or, or it, it's not um, a timeout. It's not, oh, you bad boy, you have to go there. It's a, it's a thoughtful thing a teacher can say to a kid. I can see that you're, you're kind of wiggly today. You can go to the walking path. And behind the heads of the other children the child can just walk back and forth and mm. get some get some something going yes uh, some input yeah yes. absolutely movement movement right. um right. and that's what i think has been the biggest message that um i have gotten from you today is move the body because that is what is going to integrate all the senses um, and it's so very important, particularly in um, the world that we're living in today where kids aren't simply moving it enough um, as what they should be. Um, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Carol. I think we have covered the three um, main categories that come under that sensory modulation um, subcategory of sensory processing disorder. So um, we might head to the five rapid fire questions now. Okay. Excellent. So what is one habit our listeners can implement today? Uh, one, <clears throat> I'm sorry, one habit. That our listeners what? can implement today. Oh, um, go outside. Just uh, how can I how can I say it any <laughs> it's so it's so wonderful out there and when the and when the kids are out there they'll they'll have a wonderful time at first they might not know what to do but leave the devices in the house just go outside excellent lovely what do people never ask you that you wish they did they never asked me about going outside and this, uh, I think this is generational too. I, I think our, I think our parents were certainly outside, and uh, in my childhood, I was outside all the time, barefoot, uh, stealing grapes from the neighbors, and and um, playing hopscotch, and just that's where the fun was. But parents don't think of that. They they they'll ask me, "Do I know a good educational video for helping a child learn to count?" And I'll say, instead of getting a video, give the child three oranges and a bucket. Mm. <laughs> you can learn Absolutely. a lot of math. Right? That's it. I think we look at um, educational apps as well on the iPad or the tablet as a very um, easy way to do the learning when, like you were saying, if we can engage all the senses and we can make it multi-sensory experience, then they are more likely to have um, – they're going to make those new neural connections and – um, this is what is the foundation for future learning. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Excellent. So other than your own amazing books that you have out there, um, which are absolute Bible, um, what are there any other books that you would recommend that our yes. listeners can read? Yes. Um, the two that I go to frequently are um, Raising a Sensory Smart Child by Lindsay Beal and Nancy Pesky. Here, yeah. and the other one is Lucy Jane Miller's Sensational Kids. And Lucy Jane Miller, um, 
was one of Dr. Ayer's disciples. She uh, she was a fellow working, learning with Dr. Ayer's in the 1970s. So her and she, Lucy Jane Miller's, the, the queen. queen. Yes. Um, uh, you. Your next question, I I know, is uh, <laughs> in my bucket. I love that. <laughs> what is one of your top three unfinished bucket list items? Uh, I have one more book in me. Um, um, I've written a children's book called The Good Enoughs Get in Sync. It's about a family named The Good Enoughs, and um, and they all each one of them has a different kind of sensory issue. And uh, at the end of a very difficult day, they get it together and they're outside a lot and then they they come together and get a good night's sleep and i want to write a children's book about um their terrible grandmother who just doesn't get it at all and she scolds her kids for indulging the little ones and what these children need is more discipline Mm -hmm. and granny Mm -hmm. comes to uh stay to babysit for a long weekend and the power goes out and uh, everything confusing happens. And by the time the weekend is over, Granny is bouncing on the therapy ball and she's pulling on uh, <laughs> stretchy ropes and she's having a wonderful sensory motor workout and getting in sync. So that's my that's in my bucket. Not much else, though. I've achieved a lot of yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that would be such a valuable book. That would be awesome. I cannot wait to get my hands on that. What a great idea. What a great idea. And so the last question is, if you could only offer one piece of advice to parents, what would it be? Uh, I I think have fun. Um, uh, Life is serious. And when you're raising a child with challenges um whether those challenges have been diagnosed or not uh you know we tend to be very serious and and think hard about what is the next therapist to go to or or how do i manage this um parenting like childhood is supposed to be filled with joys and i i'm positive that those joys are there for everybody if we're open to them. And um, mm. play. Just be silly. Play with your food. Um, uh, one thing that uh, a parent can do when the time changes is uh, hand the child a big watch or a small clock that's set correctly. And go around the house and change all the clocks in the house. Engage the child in carrying the laundry upstairs. Say things like, I would love to play Monopoly with you. And if you can help me with my chores, then I have 15 more minutes to play, start a game with you. You know, kids kids just sometimes need to be reminded. They always, always need to be appreciated. And with our sensory goggles on, we can really see what's making them out of sync and then we can help them get in sync ah beautifully said i think um everyone will be whipping out their sensory goggles after listening to this podcast today (laughs) so i want to thank you so much carol for helping parents and professionals like myself better understand 
sensory processing and sensory processing disorder. And, um, yeah, in really practical terms, it's so valuable. And um, I can't wait to see your new books that's coming out. Um, it's, It's wonderful. Thank you so much. You're so welcome, and uh, enjoy your summer we coming will. up the way over there. There's no <laughs> excuse not to get outside, is there? That's right. That's right. Lovely. Excellent. Thank you, Thank you Carol. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope that today's show has resonated with you in some way, and I hope that you have been inspired to take action and make positive change from home base. If there is someone you know who would benefit from this podcast, please share it. And I would love for you to join our Homebase Hope community. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast. All you have to do is head on over to iTunes and hit the subscribe button. And every fortnight, you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. If you do like this show, please jump on iTunes and leave a five-star review so more people can discover us and so we can inspire positive change in more people living on the spectrum. If you do leave a five-star review, please take a screenshot and send it to info at homebasehope.com.au with the subject line free ebook and I will send you a copy of our awesome ebook Understanding Behaviours. In this book, I show you how to manage challenging behaviours at school, at home and in therapy. I talk about the differences between tantrums, meltdowns and button pushing. And I also arm you with practical strategies you can start using today. You can access all of the show notes and other episodes at homebasehope.com.au. So until next time, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. The only lesson is ever going to be your learning. That's it. As long as you're learning, that's your lesson. When you stand in front of the mirror, the talk, the things that go on between these ears in the morning can also be what sets you up for a day. And if you've beaten yourself up for not being the most extraordinary person that you can be, then start now. We make it hard for ourselves. We make things difficult for ourselves because we go and apply a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of I'm not good enough to the things that occur in our lives. Wake the heck up. Today is a new day and here's where it can change. Kim Morrison and Karen Smith feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.